Let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us. Father God, thanks for your word uh, that it reminds us of who you are and all you've done and how you want us to respond. Please, by your spirit, empower me to preach your word faithfully and with love. Lord, we pray that you might, by your spirit, apply your word to our lives, our minds, our hearts. You might change us to respond rightly, to see who you are and what you've done, to rejoice in you and to respond as we should. In Jesus' name, amen. People give many different meanings to the word peace, but I think almost everyone wants it. Some people want to be at peace with themselves and or at peace with others. We want peace in our nation or, or some want hope to rest in peace. Many people think this peace it sort of includes if I'm going to be at peace, I'm going to be healthy, wealthy and happy or I'm not going to be fighting with others anymore. Or is this real peace? Is it something deeper than that and greater than that? Do you want peace? I ask, have you found peace? No ultimate peace is possible without getting right with God. And people who search for peace, they will never find it until they find peace with God. And when you have peace with God, it changes everything. It changes how you respond to suffering, how you respond to the future, how you respond to your coming death, everything. Neil has just finished a series, as Andy mentioned earlier, through the book of Jeremiah. Before he starts a series, four-week series on Love Your Pastor, we're having a two-week break and we're looking at Romans 5 verses 1 to 11, as Andy mentioned too. We're Looking at verses 1 to 5 today, and one of our elders, Chris, will preach on verses 6 to 11 next week. The whole paragraph in verses 1 to 11, it depends on it, and it flows from verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith. It is justification by faith that is the basis for everything else that Paul teaches here. The Apostle Paul likely wrote the letter to the Christians in Rome in AD 57. He wanted them to know what the good news, the gospel was that he preached. And earlier in the letter, he has been saying that we are all sinners who are facing God's judgment. He's been saying that Jesus died to make us right with God, to justify us. And he's been saying that that can only come, we can only experience that by faith and not by works. Chapters 1 to 4 in a nutshell. But today we're looking at two points. And the first is right with God and reconciled. So look again at verse 1. Remember to be justified. You remember from the kids talk, it's to be, uh, to have God look at us just as if we'd never sinned. You know, more literally, it's to be declared righteous or not guilty. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. We are accepted. Kids, remember, being justified, I might say it means getting God's thumbs up. God looking at us just as if we'd never sinned, accepted and welcomed. And that happened because our sin was counted to Christ and his right relationship with God, his right standing, his righteousness gets counted to us. 
500 years ago, about, Martin Luther wrote this to a monk who was distressed by his sins. He said, learn to know Christ and him crucified. Learn to sing to him and say, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness. I am your sin. You have taken upon yourself what is mine and given me what is yours. You became what you were not, that I might become what I am not. So because of Christ alone, we're justified and have a right relationship with God. And Romans 3 and Romans 4 and now Romans 5 make very clear that this happens only by grace, through faith, faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And so now I ask you, are you right with God? Are you right with God through faith in Jesus? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ to get right with God? Because if you haven't, you are not. But when we do that, when we put our trust in him, the wonderful thing is we not only get right with God, we get reconciled to God. Look again at verse 1. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we're right with God, we now have peace with God. To be in a right relationship with God is to be reconciled to God. And so when God gives us a a right standing with himself, he also gives himself to us. He gives himself to us in friendship and peace. And so we're moving here from justification in the language of the law courts, not guilty, remember, to the language that's used in the home, the language of being with our reconciled family and friends. And so there was enmity and hostility, separation between us and God because we'd rejected him and sinned. Before our conversion, we were against God. He was against us. But because of Christ, we have peace. Peace. And this peace not not only speaks of the absence of hostility, it's connected with the Jewish concept of shalom. Shalom. Shalom speaks of something that's more positive. It speaks of our well-being. It speaks of being blessed by God. Verse 2 says that we now have access to the realm of God's grace. That is his undeserved kindness. This peace with God that Paul speaks of here, it's it's not about our feelings. It's an objective position where God is no longer hostile to us and there is renewed friendship with him. A restored and reconciled relationship. I don't know if you've ever had a fight with a best friend. Maybe you were apart from for a while, not talking to each other for a while. But did you then after that ever come back together? If, if that's happened, broken up relationship, estranged from your best friend, then come back together, that is, it's wonderful. You know how wonderful it is to be reconciled. We're going to think more about this next week. But we were alienated, distanced from God, hostile to him. And then in love, God came to us in Christ to reconcile us to him. 
In love, God took the initiative to bring peace between us and himself. And it is life-changing. Do you have peace with God? If not, then put your dependent trust in Jesus and you will receive it. Or maybe there's someone that you can share this with. Someone who needs to hear about this peace with God. Someone who needs Jesus, because as we just sung, everybody needs Jesus. Whether you're at kinder, whether you're at school, whether you are older, if you, if Jesus has saved you, you can speak to your family and friends about how they can get relationship with God through Jesus too. And maybe it's a, a non-Christian friend who is weighed down by their guilt or their, their shame over what they've done. Maybe you have a Roman Catholic or Orthodox friend who struggles with assurance of salvation. They're just not sure they're going to heaven because they're just not sure if they've done enough. Maybe because they're looking at themselves instead of at Jesus. Or maybe it's a younger Christian that you could share with who's lacking a real understanding of what Jesus has achieved for them. Who can you share this good news with? Who can you encourage? Next point is rejoicing and resting assured. It's because of this right and reconciled relationship that we can rejoice even in suffering and rest assured in our final salvation. The end of verse 2, look at it. It says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. If you look at the footnote in your Christian Standard Bible, it says the word boast can also mean rejoice, as the English Standard Version puts it. The, the original Greek word refers to boasting or exulting. So it's something you boast in joyfully or you have joyful confidence in. And we boast or rejoice not in what we do for God, but in what he has done for us. Remember, we're right with God, we're reconciled to God, all received by grace, and so we rejoice. Well, Paul says that we do rejoice. I don't know whether that's how you're responding at the moment. God wants any believer who is struggling or who is downhearted to contemplate, to think again about about what you have in Jesus. Christians, I ask, does having this peace with God, does it honestly affect you? Does it fill your prayers and and warm your heart? As Paul says in Philippians 4, brothers and sisters, rejoice, and I say it again, rejoice. Do you remember Andy's kids talk from earlier this year with the balloon? Do you remember him teaching us the difference, if you were here that Sunday, teaching us the difference between happiness and joy and how happiness, like that balloon floating through the air, going near the flame, happiness comes and goes with our circumstances and happiness can disappear as fast as a balloon pops when it goes near a flame, some heat. But like the balloon with the water in it doesn't pop immediately when put in the fire, joy is like that. Joy is that contentment 
peace that can remain whatever is going on, whatever our circumstances. Joy can be lasting. We'll come back to rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God shortly. But first, let's look at verse 3 and 4. We also boast or rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction or, or suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character hope. So we rejoice even in our present sufferings. Why? Because suffering produces endurance and then true character and then hope and hope. Paul is not promising that a justified and reconciled Christian will enjoy a bed of roses, a life with no more pain and problems and worries. No, we will continue to suffer. But God uses all of life's difficult circumstances to bring us even greater blessing. God uses suffering to accomplish his purposes. I am sure that many of you have been Christians a long time and longer than me. I'm sure that many of you can testify that the difficult times that you have gone through have loosened your ties to, you loosened your hold on the things of this world and brought you closer to the Lord. Can I also say that what Paul means here is that we are to rejoice in the midst of the suffering, not in the suffering itself. And so if one day we are told that we have cancer and we will soon die, we're not to think that cancer is a good thing and something to rejoice in in itself, no. And we will still grieve the family that would be left behind or we would still groan from the pain. We're not asked to praise God for the cancer or for the loss of the loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of a friendship, whatever it is, but rather in the midst of our afflictions, we are to rejoice knowing what God will accomplish through them. And what does God accomplish? We're told firstly endurance or perseverance. That is patiently hanging in there. And I don't think we really learn endurance without suffering because without suffering there is nothing to endure. And by persevering, not giving up on God, not getting angry and bitter at God or the others around you, God grows our character, our godly, mature tested and proven character. Through suffering, God grows our Christ-likeness. He grows Christ-likeness in us. And as a result of this, our hope for, our longing for heaven also grows. We come to trust that the God who is with us, he's working in us now, he can be relied upon in the future too. True story, John Tilson was diagnosed with stage 4 bowel cancer in 2017. He died 13 months later, and yet he illustrates these things in many ways. And quoting his daughter Sarah at length, she wrote in 2018, 
From the outside, my father was living a rich and full life. He was married with four children, had two grandsons and three on the way. He owned a big house in London. He had a steady job, a great pension planned for when he retired in, would, would retire in 2021. He loved classic cars, had a sizable collection. He went to a good church. He heard biblical preaching every week, enjoyed lots of Christian fellowship. He considered himself theologically sound. But in his own words, he had become spiritually complacent and far too invested in this life. And his heart was far from God and far from living a life of true surrender. Jesus had become just a heavenly insurance policy, not the center of his life. He bickered with his wife, he collected car parts, and he watched too much TV. And then in January last year, he was diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer, age 61. We were all shell-shocked, totally devastated, but dad was not. When he first heard the diagnosis, he instantly felt God put words from Hebrews 13, 14 into his mouth, and he heard himself say to the consultant, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. He described feeling a peace that transcended all understanding, literally guarding his heart and his mind. And from then on, he woke up. Christ became everything again. The gospel was all that mattered. He was seeking a different city. And so surgery and then a grueling year of chemo followed with lots of infections and complications. But curiously, he described it all as the best year of his life. He certainly suffered, yes. But he said he wouldn't have missed it for the world because of what it all did, did did for his soul. It drew him near to God in total dependence upon him. And many times during his illness, he heard the Lord speak clearly to him. It gave him an eternal perspective as he was confronted with his own mortality and he began to think much more about heaven and the world to come and he experienced time and time again that God keeps his promises and that what God says in his word is true. He does give a peace that surpasses understanding and he is with us in the valley of the shadow of death and his grace is sufficient for us. Dad experienced that. It made him see that the only life worth living was one lived wholeheartedly for the gospel because only what you do for the kingdom will last forever. And so he resolved to make every moment count for the kingdom and to take every opportunity to contribute to someone else's journey in coming to know Jesus. And in his last few months, he did exactly that. He shared the peace he had with every doctor, nurse and healthcare professional he met. During a hospital stay in which he suffered a kidney blockage, he was able to share the gospel with a patient in the bed next to him who asked him to stay in touch. He read the Bible and prayed with another person. He took every opportunity he could to speak about God's grace. Sarah says, let's be clear. He was still my same old dad. He still bought useless car parts, said tactless things and watched reruns of Star Trek when he had the strength. But you knew more than ever that Jesus was what mattered most. We prayed for healing, but fuller healing in heaven is what he longed for. 
His soul was healed of spiritual complacency. His eyes were opened to the beauty of Christ. His heart beat with a new vigor for the gospel. He began truly seeking the king, the city to come. The more ill he became, the more gracious, wise, and Christ-like he seemed. He embodied 2 Corinthians 4.16. Though outwardly he was wasting away, inwardly he was being renewed day by day. God did much greater healing than fixing his liver. My parents' marriage was transformed. He says, I've never known more love than they had in their last year. All the little niggles and frustrations in our family relationships evaporated. And many of his friendships were deepened and strengthened. But don't get me wrong. The joys and encouragements don't take away the pain. Because of the cross, we know death has lost its sting and it was so very hard to watch my precious dad suffer and decline so quickly as if aging in fast forward. Death is so awful. And no matter how much warning you have, nothing can prepare you for the profound finality of it and the utter separation. And we still grieve deeply. But God has and he continues to use my dad's illness and death to change and shape me. I would never have chosen this for him, for my mum or our family, but I wouldn't undo it. I've seen too many provisions. I've felt too much peace and seen too many answers to my prayers along the way to believe that God made any mistakes. My trust in the Lord's sovereignty is only deepened and my dad's words echo in my life, echo in my ears each time I struggle. God's got a perfect plan. You've just got to grind out the plan. Sarah says, the pain of bereavement is also Help me to understand the gospel in a new way. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. My dad lives because of the cross, because of Jesus. It's hard to picture, but losing dad has made me think about heaven a hundred times more. He has lifted my eyes to the city that is to come. More than ever, I want to live for the things that last for eternity. I want treasure in heaven. So do you see that for both John and his daughter Sarah, the Lord not only grew their character through this terrible suffering, but also their hope and their longing for heaven. That's what verse 2 spoke of, boasting in, rejoicing confidently in this hope of the glory of God. If we are reconciled to God now, we can and we should rejoice in and rest assured that heaven awaits. That's our hope. 
as Jeremiah spoke of too, spoke of our hope. Now, yes, when we normally use the word hope, we use that word to describe something we would like to happen, but we're not sure will happen. Like, I hope my footy team wins the grand final next week. I hope my cold will get better next week, tomorrow even. I hope my auntie will be healed of cancer. And yet when the Bible uses the word hope, it's not like this. It's talking about what we can have confidence will happen. It will happen. It's just a matter of time. We just don't have it yet. We will experience the glory of God and live in his glorious presence. If you were here back with us in term two, we were looking at the book of Philippians. Philippians 3 spoke of Christ coming back again and when he does, he will transform our lowly bodies so we will be like his glorious body. That's part of our hope. And we can be sure of a place in heaven We we will be given transformed, glorious bodies. There's no doubt about it. We who follow Jesus can be certain of and rejoice in the fact that we're heading to heaven. How can I know this? How can I be sure? Because it's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, based on his death in our place, which we'll think more about next week. But look at verse 5 as well. tells us that God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Remember when we believe in Christ crucified, we're justified and we're also given the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13. And one thing the Holy Spirit does is to make us deeply and refreshingly aware that God loves us. That's what this verse is saying. We read of God's love, didn't we, too, in Psalm 103, of God's faithful love being with those who fear him. That is, his people who have awe-filled trust in him. He loves them. God loves us. Now, this is not necessarily describing overpoweringly emotional experiences of God's love that some Christians seem to have and others don't. Rather, having the promise that God loves us, both scripture and experience would tell us that all Christians receive the Holy Spirit and some measure of assurance of God's love. And I ask, have you experienced that? Do you know that God loves you? Christian can know that God loves them. And it is God's objective love for us in Christ, sending him for our salvation. That that, that objective truth of God's love is what the Spirit uses to encourage us with. The Holy Spirit reminds us of God's love in the cross of Christ. Verse 8, we'll look at that next week. And so this love is sensed. Pray that you will know and experience the love of God for you. I don't know what suffering it is that you're going through at the moment, if you are. You might be 12 years old, struggling to cope with bullying or loneliness at school for whatever reason, maybe even because you're openly Christian. You might be a teenager 
and adults, you may be old and struggling with anxiety. You might be struggling with just coping as a parent or with that relationship breakdown or with that illness that you live with. In whatever situation you are in, in whatever affliction you experience, God wants you to know that you are loved. You are loved. And he wants you to rejoice in what he has done for you in Christ and in what he will do, what he's promised he will do. God has given us a right relationship with himself. So rejoice. God has reconciled you, Christian, to himself. So rejoice. He has assured you by your faith in Jesus of a place in glory with him. So rejoice. And he will use your suffering now to grow your character and your hope. So will you rejoice? Let's pray. Father God, so often we don't are not thankful. We forget the gospel. So often we're not joyful. Even though it is that abiding thing that can remain deep down in our hearts. Please, God, remind us who know Christ afresh of the gospel. Please help us to rejoice in the reality that now and forever we're right with you. We're reconciled to you through our trust in Jesus and he is coming back. And whatever happens first, whether we die and go to be with you, God, or he's coming back, we have the hope of the glory of God. So God, help us to rejoice. Help us to know that we're loved even when we experience afflictions and hardships. And God, we pray that our joy would be seen by others and that we would be able to testify to people around us the God who has given us joy and hope and eternal life and justification. So God, help us to respond by faith and trust in this gospel. And help us to respond with joy for our good and your glory. Amen.